AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for September 16th, 2014. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today I'm joined by Stan Norilov. Stan, what's going on? Well, Jim, it's been a pretty exciting week last week. Uh, I got roped into some of the uh, POS malware analysis, helping out some of our partners. Uh, so it's been pretty busy. Okay. And uh, joining us today, we have a new contributor to the show, Manny Ortiz. And Manny, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do for AT&T? Sure. Uh, so uh, I basically manage uh, the, the team of analysts here at AT&T that are responsible for uh, much of the security data that uh, traverses the, the AT&T network. Um, and actually many of the members here of the ThreatTrack uh, program. Okay, well, thanks, and it's good to have you on board. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm Jim Clausing, and uh, Manny, why don't, we, why don't we go straight into, you've got a story that you wanted to share with us today. Sure. The story that I, uh, that I picked up on is, is basically a story um, title being uh, Hackers for Hires, uh, Rated 300 banks and corporations for uh, for 12 years, and, and basically the, the the story is about a group of German hackers. Well, in this case, hackers for hire because they're hackers that actually were taking um, uh, money from other corporations, looking to do harm to I, I'm assuming their competitors. And uh, I guess this was recently detected by a, a third-party firm that was, that was asked to, to come in and um, do a little bit of, uh, uh, of investigation. I guess once they dropped their, their in instruments into, the, uh, into their network, um, they immediately found some, um, some suspicious malware on some of the higher-ranked members of, the, of that company. What, what makes this interesting is obviously that they, this, this has been going on for so long, they've actually managed to find out they've, they've registered 800 different domains and they basically, it's, it's 800 domains and the, the reason why they were able to register so many domains is because I think there's some lax regulations over the obtaining of SSL certificates. When they investigated, they found that the certificates had um, the same contact information across all 800 of them. Um, that's probably a little unusual that there's so many that have the same contact information. So what they're saying is that they managed to get into some of these companies using some very simplistic malware um, by using, you know, normal techniques. They, you know, it was basically a, 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 a phishing campaign where they would, where they would set up what looked like legitimate domains and, and businesses to lure in the companies that they obviously were paid to um, extract data from, so they basically set set up these uh, set up these fake domains with these su supposed fake companies behind them, lured 
the appropriate members from those companies to click on some malware within you know, a, a phishing campaign and then basically dropped, uh, dropped the malware onto these boxes. It was simplistic, it was simplistic malware um, and the assumption in this investigation, I believe, is actually still going on today. But the, the, um, uh, what they're trying to say is that the reason why it wasn't detected is, well, A, they don't know whether or not antivirus was actually running on, the, on any of the companies. We have to assume that it probably was. Um, but they probably either obfuscated the, the malware um, uh, it, it's probably what, what they did when they dropped it in. So um, normal AV hasn't detected it, and because it's basically, you know, one off, it's it's a right. company that's doing it, that's setting up specifically to target these. Um, more than likely, it wasn't picked up and it wasn't thrown out into the wild. There's actually a, a PDF that goes along with this story that gives a little bit more detail, not much more detail about this story. Um, the, the campaign was actually named the, the Harkonnen operation, um, and, and again, there's a, there's a paper there's a, that's attached here that gives a little, just a little bit more information about what's going on here. Um, they do mention here about the, the types of malware uh, or Trojans that were actually uh, downloaded uh, or, or, or used in this campaign. Um, the Trojan Win 7 generic and the uh, the Win64 agent were both uh, Trojans that were used. Again, generic Trojans. And uh, I think that's about, that's about it. Um, I, I think that was the, the gist of the story. I guess a couple of things that I take from this. One, you know, the fact that it was going on for 12 years, these guys were definitely persistent. Right. And the other thing is that, you know, it doesn't necessarily always take the latest and greatest zero day to get in. That's right. uh, you know, we've seen this with with some of the APT actors that we've dealt with. That it isn't necessarily, you know, the the newest cutting edge thing. It's simple and go can fly under the radar, but it's you know highly targeted, um, and you know. That seems to work. You know, you get yeah. a really good spear phishing uh, attack against the the right people, and you can slide it in there. And often, if you know, if you're not monitoring for the right things, these guys can fly under the radar for a long time. Right. Yeah. And as long as you as long as you back you back it up with the with the the, the, the certs. And you create these dummy companies so that what they're what they're actually you know going what the the uh, the the person who's being fished is clicking on looks legitimate when they go to that page and they see that it's oh it's it's got a it's it's uh, it's got a cert right it, sh it should be okay right. you know it's uh, it's easy to to fool people that way. Well, I think we've trained a lot of people to assume that the security icon in their browser means something is secure. Exactly. But yeah. maybe they don't necessarily know that they have to look at the certificate a little bit more in detail. Right. Yeah. And the and these the, the one uh, piece that I did forget is that you know it was obviously over 12 years that they did this. It looks like they were able to determine that they spent somewhere over $150,000 just on 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 purchasing domains. Oh, wow. So. Um, you know, persistent over those years and, and, and was able to obviously spend a little bit of money, but I'm sure their returns were much more than that. Well, they had to have a, a very nice return to spend right. that much money. Yeah. 
but just they'll show you though that there's a stake at least monetarily there for everyone you yeah. know even including the domain name registrars yeah yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah and I, I i guess that is the one thing that that does stand out is these guys went to the effort of you know of creating these you know fake business fronts and and buying certificates for all of them that's something that we don't see a whole lot of the the normal criminals doing um, they don't waste their time on that they'll steal somebody's certificate or something but they don't they won't buy 800 of them Stan we've heard a lot about the POS uh, you know, point-of-sale malware attacks you know especially with the target thing last fall and it's been in the news lately uh, you found you found something about that. You want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, well, in all of my adventures with malware analysis, something interesting came across my desk last week when everybody was putting out their white papers about POS malware. Um, and it's this it's a pretty good paper from Trend Micro. And it, it lists uh, some of the common architectures for POS systems, how POS systems are uh, usually designed or deployed. Um, and then it talks about some of the ways in which Trend Micro has seen uh, attackers exploit these systems, where the malware can be installed on the network, how the malware usually comes in. You know, they talk about a few malware families that, um, that they've seen in the wild that target POS systems. And um, they also talk about some of the ways that data is exfiltrated out once it's collected. Um, and some of the ways they mention, you know, these can change, obviously, but like FTP, HTTP, and even the Tor network have all been uh, used to exfiltrate out, um, uh, I guess, credit card data. So it's a very nice paper. It gives a very good overview of the architecture of POS systems, um, what some of the threats are, how they've been exploited recently, uh, some of the malware families that are relevant, and um, it also talks about some of the possible mitigations that people can take to protect their POS systems. So I highly recommend it. We'll obviously have the link uh, for you guys to explore it, but it's a very good overview and it certainly helped me as I was doing malware analysis uh, to have that kind of overview. It does look like a, a really interesting paper that's got a lot of info on how the POS malware works, which is, I think, useful for a lot of us that don't don't necessarily spend a lot of time dealing with it to understand you know, how those systems work and how the malware works. So, yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And um, you also have an APT report that you wanted to talk about? Uh, that's right. I actually came across a, a FireEye article. Um, I think it came out last week. And uh, they have an interesting observation to share with all of us. So um, they've observed two uh, APT groups that they consider separate APT groups uh, because they're geographically spread out and they're actually targeting separate kinds of industries but in parallel they've been using the same tools and techniques and so FireEye calls out attention to that and says you know it's pretty interesting that probably means uh, that these are somehow related these APT groups even though that they're so geographically distributed even though uh, they're targeting different industries. But when you look at it globally, when you look at their uh, TTPs, which is tools, techniques, and procedures, uh, you start to see a pattern of, you know, they're really closely related. Uh, perhaps they're getting funding from the same source or somebody is doing development of their tools. 
uh, the same way. They have a very nice and detailed paper that they've released um, with this article. It actually has IP addresses, network signatures, uh, MD5 sums of the malware, descriptions of the malware, descriptions of the decoding algorithms, and I encourage everybody uh, who kind of follows this APT topic, who's interested, uh, to go ahead and read it. it. It has a lot of great detail. Some of the things that kind of jumped out at me uh, from just reading the article is that uh, one of the techniques that they use, which is very, very good for them, uh, I guess works very well for them, is that they, uh, when they do their spear phishing, um, they tailor the message in the language appropriate to the party that they're targeting. Um, so they clearly have a, a way to generate these very uh, well-formed language-specific emails. Um, what they've started doing is they've started attaching documents and exe files or zip files um, with a password. So the user, when they double-click, they'd also have to enter the password. And they provide that password in the email. And I'm assuming this, this actually works to infect victims because they seem to be having some success with it. Um, and the other thing that really also jumped out at me is that apparently they're creating really large document files um, and padding them with a lot of um, extra unnecessary information, just zero bytes. And apparently the reason they're doing that is that some um, network protections like AV systems or network-based uh, protection systems, they actually won't scan files that are too big. So if they comprise, I guess, maybe too many packets or they're just too large, uh, they might actually evade detection. So uh, it's, in, it's, an, it's an interesting technique. I actually am not familiar with how well it works, uh, but apparently it has some success for these APT groups. Um, and uh, one of the other things is they call out um, some new malware families that I wasn't familiar with, so it's helped me uh, to understand it a little better. And one of them is uh, one we've heard about a lot, which is Poison Ivy, which we know is in great use by APT actors. There are a couple other custom, uh, custom malware samples or Trojans that they talk about um, uh, that were new to me. And uh, since the paper is very detailed, I've been able to read it and, and really learn a lot. So I encourage every one of our viewers who is interested in this topic to also do the same. Yeah, I wonder, uh, <clears throat> like you, you know, you were saying in the beginning that they, that they're actually putting the the these two families sort of together, and I'm I'm assuming that they're making some assumptions about that, um, you know, by looking at the different uh, malware that's involved and their techniques. Um, yeah, I just wonder today whether or not that's because they're somehow associated, or you've got a really good copycat, you know, that's able to. You know, so I mean, I don't, I'm not sure which which one it is, but it's interesting to see that, you know, today it probably shouldn't surprise us that there's there's groups out there that are that are far apart, you know, geographically, but tied together, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah and if it was just the poison ivy malware that was used, I would say that it could be plausible yeah, right. that they, you know, it's freely available and it's just another group using it. Uh, but in this case, they were also sharing this closed source malware, yeah, which so isn't widely distributed, and that kind of tied them together. Right, ties them more and together. And it's interesting when you look at analysis from a global perspective. So usually when you're involved in incident response or any, you know, any, anybody is involved in incident response, they're kind of dealing with that isolated incident. And it's sometimes during the fog of war, you're trying to contain the situation. It's hard to see that global scope. 
Um, and I'm sure that a lot of the victims of this, uh, they're kind of dealing with it individually. What FireEye was able to do is they, they take uh, this global perspective and, and see all of all of the incidents, um, what right. they were able to, do, uh, to determine that this is kind of related. Right. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Stan. Uh, the one that I wanted to talk about today uh, actually came up at the tail end of my uh, most recent shift as a handler at the Internet Storm Center, and Johannes Ulrich has actually written it up over on the um, Storm Center Handler's Diary, uh, but it was some traffic that came in and it turns out it now appears to be a more widespread scan of the internet that it looked like the traffic was from uh, one of Google's DNS servers 8.8.8.8 .8 .8 .8, source port 47074 targeted at SNMP uh, UDP port 161 on on servers and hosts spread all over the place pretty sure that the it's spoofed traffic. Uh, it's UDP, so it's easier to spoof, and there's no reason to believe that Google's public recursive DNS server would be attacking things. It also always has the source port 47074, and, and at first we thought, you know, maybe this was, you know, folks that have SNMP exposed to the internet as in a reflection attack to try to you know, uh, launch a denial of service attack against Google's DNS server. However, once we actually got our hands on some packets and got an opportunity to look at it, um, it's actually much more interesting. And it doesn't look like it's uh, an attack against Google's DNS server. It looks like it's an attack against uh, these devices that have SNMP open to the Internet. What we've discovered, and I'm not sure that all of it has made it into uh, Johannes's article. Some of it is in the comments. What we've discovered is that the folks that are doing this scanning appear to be walking um, large network ranges. Uh, they're varying the third octet first, and then the and then the fourth. So, for example, they'll go to 192.168. 0 0.1, 192.168.1.1, 192.168.2.1, until they get up to 255, and then they'll come back around 0 0.2, 1.2, 2.2. So they um, they seem to be walking uh, these slash 16 um, address blocks, first by varying the third octet of the IP address, and then the fourth octet. It uh, seems to take them about 17 minutes to come around to the next, um, you know, the next adjacent. So to get from 1.1 to 1.2, having gone through the other, uh, you know, the, varied the third octet first, seems to take about 17 minutes to come back around. Um, some folks have been noticing this scanning going on since since Sunday, the 14th, and as I said, it it appears that it's an attack against uh, devices that have SNMP uh, open to the internet because when we actually got some of the packets and were able to decode them and look at them, um, 
what what they're attempting to do with the packet is uh, to to do a set uh, an SNMP set um, using the private community string to change the default TTL on the device to one and turn off IP forwarding. So the result of this is if either of those succeed, um, the router is not going to pass traffic anymore. Uh, it's not going to forward it from you know inside to outside or outside in. And any traffic that it does send, it'll set the TTL to one. It'll go one hop. The TTL will get decremented, and it'll get dropped by the next router. So it it looks like this might be an attempt to do a denial of service attack uh, against some uh, poorly configured routers that have SNMP open to the internet. So far, I actually haven't seen, we haven't actually seen any evidence that it's succeeded in shutting things down, you know, in shutting these down. Uh, but if you've got a device that's got uh, SNMP open to the internet and uses a, communi a right community string of private, um, you really need to reconsider that. You know, I think that you've, you've made, you made the point there is that, you know, SNMP, using SNMP and having it open to the internet, just a bad idea right from the get-go, right? I mean, um, it just seems to me like you're, you're asking for it by having something like that open. And then not changing the... Uh, right, the, the default. The def I guess the default, <laughs> yeah, community string. Uh, that would be a big mistake as well in case you didn't need to have SNMP open for right. some reason. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how often this attack would be successful. It sounds like there's a lot of preconditions. Um, and I also wonder why they chose, um, you know, Google's IP address 8.8.8.8, but then left the uh, source port the same, you know, not varying. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I don't know. I, I suspect that it is not going to succeed a whole lot, but... Folks do plug things in and leave defaults uh, set up. We've seen way too much of that, and there are plenty of devices that have SNMP open to the internet. We've seen that. We've talked about that on the show recently with some of the um, deni you know, reflection denial of service attacks. So, yeah, it's a pretty malicious purpose to try to shut down basically these routers. It it, it sounds. Very capricious. Yeah, and that's that's why one of the yeah. things that Johannes was speculating on whether whether it was really all that malicious or whether it was just a troll, you know, trying to see what happens if if we do that, it, you know, seeing if people will notice or or whatever. So I don't know. Uh, it's something I think we'll be keeping our eyes on for the next you know f next few days and weeks to see what comes of it. Um, since those are spoofed, uh, we have not yet had any success or any coordinated effort to try to track back and find the the folks who are actually generating the attacks. But uh, yeah, it's definitely important to keep an eye on these things because, as we've seen many times in the past, you know, the, the bad guys usually try something first. If it doesn't succeed, they tweak it a little, right. and usually that works. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And we've seen that time and time again. You always see the, the precursor, and then eventually they, they've found the, the right mix of, and, that, and then you get the full-blown attack. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Let's go ahead and take a look at the internet weather. It'll be a somewhat shorter report this week, I think. Um, the The first thing that I wanted to, to point out here was an increase in the number of scan probes on UDP port 135. Uh, this is the the EP map, the old remote procedure call in uh, in Windows. For a, a long time, we've had a, a noise floor in the vicinity of uh, 30 million probes per hour. That dropped off here in in late August, dropped down closer to 10, and then slowly was creeping back up around 20. As you can see here, starting about the, the 12th of um, September or so, there was a, a large increase in the number of probes. Still not exactly sure what they're looking for. The majority of these are mostly coming from a single AS, and most of the sources are in China, a few more of the big ones in the US. But it, it really is a, a relatively small number of IP addresses in a couple of network blocks that are generating the vast majority of, of this traffic. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Yeah, I can see there also that there was a, there was a, a, a minor spike earlier in the month as well, right? I mean, so you see a spike there that goes up to about 120 and before it drops way off. And then, you know, you've got sort of nothing for a while and then all of a sudden it jumps back up. So again, possibly an indicator. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and I think we may have even mentioned that, that brief little spike there on the show last month when, when it occurred. But, um, but yeah, the the volume has jumped up considerably, you know, up, up in the 70 million, peaking up closer to 150 million in the last uh, week or so. So this is definitely one that we will be keeping an eye on uh, as we go forward. Uh, the other one I wanted to show was, uh, and we actually looked at this on a previous uh, show as well, um, related to, to my story just a minute ago. Um, and what I'm showing on this graph is actually uh, bytes on port uh, UDP-161. And the one that we had talked about on the show previously about seeing some uh, reflection attacks back around the 6th, 7th, 8th of September and I believe that this little spike here in the last day or so is the is the scanning activity that that I just talked about. This, these uh, trying to shut down these uh, improperly configured routers. So anyway, it's you know, port one sixty one is one of those that uh, we've been has been on our radar as a potential reflection attack vector, but now we've got this other possibility that this some of the scan activity may be related to the news to this new denial of service attempt our top 10 most probed ports this week the big one of note is uh, TCP 135 that I just showed the graph of uh, a minute ago and that one 
jumped from 14th on our list all the way up to number one. So that was our biggest mover of the week. The rest of these are all pretty much ports that we see on a regular basis. TCP 22, that's SSH, password guessing. TCP 1433, which is Microsoft SQL. TCP 80, normal web traffic. 53 UDP, DNS. 23 TCP, Telnet, again, normally um, password guessing. TCP 445, which uh, a lot of that traffic is, is looking for weak file shares or still some lingering config or even after all these years. Uh, TCP 8080, which is uh, alternate web port, proxy, Tomcat, and TCP 443. Most of these ports, all of these ports we've seen on these reports in the past. Actually, one thing to note, though, is the size of this other wedge over here. This week there were, well, yesterday there were another, there were another 5,000 ports that showed up that we were seeing um, scan probes on, which is, uh, in previous weeks, that's usually closer to 1,000. So not sure what all is going on there, but there seems to be a lot of scan activity on a lot of ports in, in the last 24 hours. Yeah, that's a, that's a significant jump if you're going from 1,000 yeah, to 5,000. Yeah, now the, the volume of ports, or the volume of probes wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, as significant. It wasn't a five-fold jump in the volume of probes, but the number of ports being probed went up, and that was... Number, right. A little odd, and I don't really know what to make of that, but uh, just did want to point that out. And uh, similarly, our, our other usual graph, the most sources doing the probing. Again, there's nothing really uh, new on this one. The ICMP being at the top, uh, it was second last week, and that's a little bit unusual. We normally don't see that quite there at the top, but 445 TCP, 80 TCP, 8080 TCP, 23 TCP, 8081 TCP, which is another alternate web or proxy port, 3128 TCP, which is squid proxy, 27015 UDP, which is uh, gaming, and the 16470 UDP, which is one of the zero access ports, which for the last few weeks has been just outside the top 10. This, this week it crept back into the, at number 10, but really nothing, nothing stands out there as particularly unusual. We've seen all of these ports on previous reports. And that's our show for today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at threattrack at list.att.com. To get notice of new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at threattrack. The threattrack video is available at att.com slash threattrack and on YouTube at the AT&T Tech Channel. There is also an audio-only version on iTunes. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Manny. I'm Jim Clausing. We'll be back next week with a new episode. And until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.